0: Tisha B'Av is the fast of the ninth day of the Hebrew month of Av. It commemorates the destruction of the first temple by the Babylonians in 586 BCE and the second temple by the Romans in 70 CE. Other tragedies that occurred on this date were the fall of Beitar where Bar led his Jewish army in revolt against the Romans. World War I started on this day as well as the expulsion of Jews from Jewish Gaza in 2005. This year the fast begins at sundown Wednesday, July 29th and ends at nightfall July 30th. Israel National Radio wishes its listeners a meaningful Tisha B'Av fast. back.
1: Shalom and welcome to all of you lovers of Hashem, His Torah, Israel, and the nations. You're listening to Noahide Nations here on Israel National Radio, and I'm your co-host Ray Patterson, and let me welcome my other co-host, Adam Penrod. Adam, how are you doing? Great. How are you doing, Ray? I'm doing pretty well. I think we've got a, a very, uh, sadly, I should say in a sad way, a very exciting show.
0: Yeah, a very good show it looks like.
1: And and I think uh, the folks will really begin to understand once we start getting into this. My friends, we have two extra special guests here with us today who are going to be talking to us about... A terrorism and, and quite frankly, the war that we are completely unaware of. And this show needs to be taken very, very seriously because this is a wake-up call to the world and, in particular, to all Americans. Because this is happening right now in your cities and in your neighborhoods. And if we continue to sit back and do nothing, then we are all as good as conspirators in the takeover of this country by the forces of radical Islam in the implementation of Sharia law. So my friends, when I say this is serious, I absolutely mean what I say, and I'm saying what I mean. And with us today, we have the producer of the new movie called "The Third Jihad," uh, which is a radical Islam's vision for America, and that is Rafael Shore, and we also have Dr. Zudi Jasser. Gentlemen, it is very much a pleasure to have you on the show with us. Welcome aboard. How are you? Doing well. Thank you for uh, having us,
2: uh, uh, Ray. It's a pleasure. Yeah, thank you very much for hosting us. This is Rafael
1: pleasure to be here well, and it is a pleasure to have you and as I mentioned to our audience before that in a, in a way, this is a very sad show, but with without this knowledge that we 're going to be uh, having conveyed to us, we are as, as good as blind in walking into a nightmare that is going to be unrecoverable from so let me go ahead and, and kind of get this started with Dr. Jasser in the in the movie it says that you're you're a a muslim who've dedicated your life to fighting radical islam and that you actually served in the u s navy and that you're a a physician uh you were a staff physician for members of congress and the supreme court i'm very curious what it what was it that led you to this fight against your own religion
2: well i'll tell you uh, um internally within my faith community and the different communities I've lived in in my life around the country in the United States, I've always had a struggle that I've been dealing with, and I thought that that struggle would sort of uh, mature over the future generations and my children and my children's children. But after 9-11, uh, we realized that this was not anything that we could wait much longer to allow the natural maturation of this contest of ideas to, to uh, go to fruition, and ultimately, You know, even now, almost uh, eight years after 9-11, people are still under the perception that we're fighting a tactic. And it's not a tactic, there's an ideology there. And, uh, terrorism is all about Islamism. It's Islamist inspired. And Islamism is a system of government that seeks to put into place Sharia law that is guided and written and directed, uh, by, uh, clerics and imams that think that they want to control society through a governmental system. And I grew up and I was blessed to have been born into a family that uh, taught me that I could practice my faith more freely in a secular liberal democracy like America than I could in anywhere else in the world, especially in the Middle East, that is either secular dictatorships or uh, Islamist governments like Iran and what we had in the Taliban and and, uh, like what the Muslim Brotherhood out of Egypt would want to do. So we formed an organization, the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, basically, to fight the ideology, not the not the tactic alone, but the ideology, and want to separate mosque and state, and that it was just natural for us to. I mean, if Muslims don't do this, we're not going to solve this problem. you are going to continue to chase our tails for the next century, as we've seen with the number of attacks that have occurred since nine eleven abroad and. Bali and Madrid and Scotland and, and all over the world and, and the number of attacks that have been prevented in the West and especially in America there have been over 30 prevented. So um, it, it really is incumbent upon Muslims to begin to unravel and peel the onion of the internal part of the theology that we love and also the parts of the theology that have been manipulated and controlled by radicals and Wahhabi
1: interpretations of our scripture. Well, and it's interesting you mention this uh, about the attacks that have, ha- have been prevented. I have a very dear friend of mine who is now a, a retired uh, colonel from the Army, and he was actually tasked out of uh, uh, Peterson Air Force Base on the homeland security side of things with NORTHCOM. And one of the things that he and I had discussed is the lack of knowledge on the part of the American people of how many attacks have literally been stopped as a result of things that have been put in place for the prevention of this. Obviously, for security purposes, that's why they do it. But I have this distinct feeling that even if the Army or the Department of Defense were to make the media fully aware of it, the media would have none of it anyway. They wouldn't be telling us anyhow. I mean,
2: uh, I served in the Navy for uh, 11 years and left as a lieutenant commander, and have a, have a deep uh, personal understanding of what our sons and daughters do to keep our country safe all over the world, and especially uh, homeland security. Now, with what the bureau is doing, there was just a plot uh, a couple weeks ago unraveled out of uh, uh, the uh, New York City prisons of a, a cell that came out and came together and uh, uh, had a plot to uh, uh, bomb a synagogue and and uh, uh, military planes. So, you know, this problem is real because of, I think, often because of political correctness, because of uh, um, political gamesmanship and partisanship, the focus on the real threat is ignored. And um, we are one of these times they're going to get through. And the whole environment is going to change. You, you cannot underscore enough how much we need to begin to talk about the ideologies that stimulate this. sort of be like in the Cold War when we were fighting communism, where if you had nobody in Washington that was studying communist or Soviet war ideology and, and their uh, plans for global uh, uh, hegemony of the Soviets and communists. And similarly now, I bet you could count on one hand the number of experts in Washington that are being paid by the government to study Salafist and uh, Wahhabi ideology and how it drives all of these terror cells around the world.
1: My gosh.
0: Wow. An interesting uh, thing in the, the introductory text of your movie, it says that a small percentage of 1.3 billion Muslims are radical. Do you know what the, the percentage on that actually is? Where where, where are we getting this uh, these numbers at?
2: Well, I'm glad you bring that up because, you know, I'll tell you uh, in working with Clarion and And what they're doing, it's just been a pleasure to to come together with them. And one of the saddest things for me as a Muslim is that this wasn't something that we personally had the resources and the community network to do on our own because this is a movie that Muslims should make and lead and have done on our own. But we didn't do it. The the vast majority of Muslims have been asleep at the switch. They're in denial and don't want to address the major problem within our community. So um, this is why this is a global problem that... Christians and Jews and Muslims and and uh, uh, Sikhs and Hindus and all those of all faiths are going to have to come together to address not from a in any way a attack on the faith which I, I believe in and practice devotionally as a conservative Muslim but rather against a political ideology. If you look at the, the rates and statistics it, it appears that most studies show that about maybe anywhere from five to seven percent of Muslims really believe in a militant approach to this conflict where, they actually condone terror, and then if you do the numbers of 1.5 billion, that's actually a significant
1: number. That's <laughs> a small um, army, indeed. But
2: you know, the realistically, though, as, as an American born in, in the U.S., and I personally never met a Muslim that believed in attacking innocents and, and believed in terrorism. But I always like to use the example of lung cancer. You know, I, I'm my my avocation and profession is as a, as a physician, and when we treat cancer, you know, you look at, for example, lung cancer, smoking is one of the primary causes. Now, only a small percentage of smokers end up developing lung cancer, but yet if you can decrease smoking, you're going to significantly impact the frequency of cancer. Similarly, Mm -hmm. the cigarettes of radical militant Islam, which is at 5%, is actually a much bigger problem in the Muslim community, which is political Islam and the goals of establishing the Islamic State that stands against Western society, which separates church and state or mosque and state, and uh, believes in individual rights over the community. So that ideology, actually, studies haven't really been done very well, but that could be anywhere from 40 to 50 percent of Muslims in the world. And that's where the civil war internally within the faith has to happen. The Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt has 20 percent of the parliament of Egypt. And Mubarak Mubarak has been dealing with this and imprisons them uh, occasionally and other times gives them uh, far more freedoms to uh, do a radical acts than they should, and you know, sort of a push and pull that is part of the push and pull all over the Middle East, from the Wahhabis in Saudi Arabia with their conflicts with the royal family that are uh, despotic, to uh, the Syrians with the same conflict, uh, to you know, Gaza and the West Bank. You see the same thing between Hamas and Fatah. So this, this two cancers of secular fascism and, and radical Islam have sort of risen up together, and somewhere lost in the din of all of that is the moderate Muslims that want neither.
1: I see. Wow. That's amazing. That amazing. And, amazing. and uh, Doctor, if you could just share with us, because I'm not really familiar with, you know, with the details, and we certainly don't have the time to get into it. But if, in fact, radical Islam takes over this country and implements Sharia law, can you cite some examples of, of what changes would actually occur? I mean, I think a lot of us are probably most familiar with the burqas that we see that the women are forced to wear. That's part of Sharia law, correct?
2: Yeah, this is, you know, Sharia to a Muslim is the word. In Arabic, it means uh, simply God's law. So, you know, when I pray my five times a day or fast, my rules of, of dietary rules and prayers and personal rules are all Sharia. But then there's governmental and public Sharia, which is really what our organization is standing against is, And what this movie, I think, uh, very clearly starts to express is the rules that government uses to impose theocracy. So you'll see in the third jihad footage of of women getting beaten with sticks by the Iranian government because Mm -hmm. their dresses or or skirts are too too short or or they're not covering their hair appropriately. Uh, Any type of social decorum uh, uh, laws that are done in the name of Islam uh, are sharia, um, Sharia courts that have to de- deal with family law, divorce, and inheritance are, are part of uh, Sharia. And in England, for example, the Archbishop of Canterbury has been personally trying to make sure that Sharia courts are established in England. And the funny thing is, is that I don't know if they've done a poll to see if Muslims actually want that. In fact, they're just responding, they're just responding to Islamists, the Islamist lobbies and uh, the uh, archbishop have just been facilitating that. And so if Islamists got control when they do. If you look at the way they run their Sharia courts, they legitimize. For example, there was a German judge a couple years ago that that a man came in and had been beating his wife and was brought under charges of domestic violence, and all of a sudden the judge said, oh, okay, you're citing the Quran, so that's part of religious freedom, so we'll allow you to... Uh, We'll dismiss the case because it's part of your faith, and we'll let you go. And now, that's a, how Uh-oh. absurd that is, it's a reality. Two weeks later, the the decision was overturned, and he was brought under charges of domestic violence. But this is what happens, is when you have laws that talk about uh, uh, beating of women and, and justify that based on religion, which, by the way, I don't believe in it at all, sure. but needs to be reinterpreted. When you have laws that even the UN was talking about making laws against blasphemy, against criticizing the religion of Islam that the OIC was trying to push forth. Again, that's part of Sharia, where according to them you can't criticize the faith, quote-unquote. And it's typical of fascists. I mean, fascism has many forms. When theocrats become fascists, they want to make sure that the population can't question authority. So they put into place blasphemy laws. And also, for example, people that leave the faith, part of Sharia is, uh, as it's interpreted today, that if somebody leaves Islam, then they should be killed, and that needs reform. I can give you a theological explanation how that is wrong, from even from Quranic scripture, how they are interpreting that wrong, but the bottom line is, is still the leadership of most Islamic institutions believe that those that leave Islam uh, should be punished.
0: Um, let me ask you this, this is sort of a... a question of curiosity is there a place in the quran that talks about converting the world and killing everyone that will not convert is there actually um, a, or is this a misinterpretation what, what is that i'll tell
2: you the way i learned my faith and the way mm-hmm. you know when we read scripture and read the quran i personally and the islam that i know do not know of anywhere where it says that anything that other than islam being a choice just like any other faith is a choice uh, there are passages that talk about just war and the passages, uh, especially the controversial ones in chapter 9 or chapter 5, that talk about uh, uh, the ones that I know that you may be thinking about when you ask that question. And all I can tell you is that when we read those, my my family and others uh, that I've known said that that chapter related to a single small conflict between two small tribes and entities in the 7th century and has absolutely no relevance to anything today. And I would look on it just like that passage, for example, said, uh, kill the infidels where you find them. That passage was actually God giving Muslims the ability to defend themselves against a particular tribe. Mm-hmm. When I was in the Navy and they told me to, and our troops, to go kill Al-Qaeda where you find them, and I feel that that's a, a similar type of moral justice. But the bottom line is, is my voice and the voice of those that interpret Quranic scripture in, in a pro-Western, pro-modern way, is not the predominant voice in Islam. So their Islam, the Wahhabi Islam, the, the Islam of Al Qaeda and others, Islamists that want to say that that passage then gives them the right to declare war on all non Muslims, those that divide the world into Dar al Islam and Dar al Har, which is uh, the area of Islam and the area of war, that whole concept needs major reform so that the words I'm telling you are believed and
1: believable. I wanted to get into something that you presented is, is one of the links I think one of your people sent this to me and it deals with this discovered document by the FBI and I know you know which one i 'm talking about, but I want to read an excerpt out of this, and maybe you can elaborate on this a little more deeply and maybe share with our audience you know the overall context of this document. But in this one part on page uh, seven, it, it's titled "Understanding the Role of the Muslim Brotherhood in North America." The process of settlement in, is a civilization jihadist process with all the words meanings. The and I believe they it's pronounced Ikhwan must understand that their work in America is a kind of grand jihad in eliminating and destroying the Western civilization from within and sabotaging its miserable house by their hands and the hands of the believers so that it is eliminated and God's religion is made victorious over all other religions. I mean, you know, number one, this document and reading it, you know, I had this vision of terrorists, you know, maybe they're not the sharpest knives in the drawer, so to speak, but after reading this entire document, I realized that this is a highly intellectual person that put together this document, and when I read that part, I was overwhelmed with, with that statement of, of having this country, them assisting in destroying us from within,
2: Others uh, that, and, and then putting this together is that if you look intellectually at pol- the political Islamist movement around the world, those in the Muslim Brotherhood were very upset at Al Qaeda, were, were, and, and that's why you'll see them making even statements against Al Qaeda on their websites and elsewhere because it sort of exposed it, brought the world to all of a sudden realize what's going on. And the more, the less violent, the more insidious, and patient Islamists want to use methods that will. These ideas, and if you look at Sayyid Qutb, Qutb was sort of the, the primary philosopher of the Muslim Brotherhood or the Ikhwan. Ikhwan in Arabic basically means brothers. He came to Colorado for a couple of years in the early 20th century and wrote a book called Milestones that talks about. And Milestones is basically 40 pages; it would take people just two hours to read it. And here's one of the primary. I mean, if you look at most of the Islamic groups in America, find only one, whether it's Islamic Society in North America, the Muslim Public one that actually ever criticized kutub 's work and they don 't his book talks about defeating the West and to them the bottom line of the West is not necessarily that uh, they want to invade a country that has only one percent Muslims they are threatened severely by societies based on liberty they do not want an influence because they know that they will lose the intellectual battle uh, between theocracy and Western freedom and western liberty so they, they create these manifestos to teach their youth and to teach their population that we have at any cost necessary to infiltrate these Western societies because their ideas will spread like wildfire in the Middle East if we don't destroy them first before they come to us.
0: Well, Doctor, uh, one question that uh, occurs to me to ask is, um, um, how are they able to get a, get, a, get away with a lot of this? I mean, you've got a, you've got a very, it sounds like very vocal, very active very proactive minority, but why aren't, why aren't uh, more Muslims able to stand up and say there's something wrong with this, or even say you're misinterpreting our Quran, or saying, you know, what you're, you're saying, you know, it just it doesn't make any sense. Is it an education problem? Is it a PR problem? What's, what's going on?
2: That's a great question, and there's many layers to that. I'll tell you, the first layer is fear in that many Muslims that speak out and you you can look at uh, our own history here in Phoenix where we're based out of Phoenix Arizona the local Islamists and uh, American Islamists have uh, uh, tried to paint us as being uh, anti-Muslim paint us as being a number of things rather than deal with the message they attack the messenger it's a a tribalism that has plagued the Middle East that was brought over by many immigrants with them and is a classic technique of the Islamists is to because they use religion as their mantle of politics, they then are able to use it to say that anybody that criticizes their political platform is thus anti-Islam. And that's why I think it's so important that films like this be led by Muslims, because this is, you know, their they're first thing they try to do is paint it as Islam. Or, or Saudi governments, or they get radical Islam or political Islam taught in the mosques. The university institutions that would teach them Hobbes and Locke and Liberty and, and oh, yeah. Jefferson and and Rousseau and all the Enlightenment thinkers don't exist. So you're wow. expecting them to have a, a third option that they really have not learned about yet, mostly. That's,
0: that's interesting because I, I've always personally felt it's very difficult to create a, a democracy in, in, in a land where nobody has even a, a notion of it. So that's a, that's a very interesting point.
1: Well, and that's probably a great place to, to stop because we're coming up on a hard break here. I apologize. We've been focusing all of our discussion with Dr. Jasser and have uh, unfortunately left uh, Rafael Shore, the producer of the uh, third jihad, out of the picture. So when we come back, we will have the producer of the third jihad with us, and we'll be firing some questions at him. So, folks. Please do stick around. You're going to enjoy the second half of the show.
2: Mahon Harzion, an Orthodox Jewish organization, offers educational programs in Israel about the Jewish faith for everyone. Who loves the God of Israel? Machon Harzion opens its doors of spiritual knowledge to Jew and Gentile alike. Machon Harzion stands to share true spirituality with people of all faiths. Visit www.harzion.org. That's h-a-r-t-s-i-o-n.org
3: mikvacalendar.com is your rabbinically approved personal guide to Tarat HaMishpah observance now keeping the mitzvahs easier than ever before with your very own online mikvah calendar times and dates are automatically calculated and explained in English and Hebrew you have the option to customize your mikvah calendar according to Ashkenazi, Svartic or Chabad customs receive email or text messages for important dates and times visit mikvacalendar.com to start your online calendar that's M-I-K-V-A-H calendar.com
1: Okay, we're back, folks. We appreciate you sticking around for the second half of the No Hide Nation show. I do want to mention that we are going to be giving away uh, at least five of the DVDs of the third Jihad. We'll go ahead and tell you how to do that towards the end of the show, how you might be able to get one of those free copies. In the meantime, for those of you who simply do not want to wait to get it, you can actually go to www.v. ThirdJihad.com, and get all the information you need to go ahead and purchase that for your own collection. I would definitely recommend doing it. And not only that, show it to your friends and neighbors as well. And with the second half, and I apologize because we got so involved with uh, uh, Dr. Jasser. He's just uh, so knowledgeable, and it's fascinating from the standpoint that he is Muslim. and and even he is against this, that I completely left out the producer. So let me go ahead and and bring uh, Raphael Shore in here and and express my apologies. Uh, Raphael, say hello to the folks. How you doing?
3: Hi, everybody out there, and uh, I just want to say there's no reason to apologize because (laughs) the reason that we work so closely with Dr. Jasser and the reason he is the featured personality in the film The Third Jihad is because in this battle against radical Islam, there's so much more credibility when a devout Muslim himself says that there's a problem within radical Islam. Because when I say it, as a Jewish person or a Christian person might say this, very often, especially the Muslims, will say, oh, you're, it's Islamophobic, you just hate Islam. And we're very careful to make the distinction that, you no, know, we're talking about radical Islam, we're not against all Muslims, but they will use that as a way to stifle the debate. And so Dr. Jasser's role in, in this fight against radical Islam is critical, and therefore I was very pleased that you spent the, the first half hour focused <laughs> on him. His voice is much more important than this.
1: Okay, I'll take that as apology accepted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, long way. Now, now uh, you folks were involved in the first movie, Obsession, right? Yes, no, was it the same, correct. was it the same core group of people yourself and uh, Dr. Uh, Jasser that were involved in that one?
3: No, in the first film, Dr. Jasser was not involved. We did look out for some brave Muslims who were willing to speak out. We did not find Dr. Jasser at that time. We did find a couple others, Nani Darwish and Wally Shobat. They're hard to find. <laughs> they are a rare, a rare breed, unfortunately, at this point, to find a uh, Muslim who's willing to speak out. In fact, most of them end up being apostates, according to Islam. They're no longer Muslim. So it's hard to find. But the, the rest of the filmmaking team, Wayne Copping, the director, and, and my researchers, were pretty much the same. And we added one more co-producer and co-director, Eric Worth. So it was a, it's a great team. We we're able to put together two great movies. We estimate that about 50 million Americans have seen Obsession, and Fox News alone probably got it out to about 10 million
0: people when they did the specials
3: on it. Wow, wow
1: that's great news. That really, that really is. In fact, that was going to be one of my questions to you, is regarding the mainstream media and, and entertainers, and you know, even politicians at least here in this country, seem to be working covertly to help radical Islam achieve its goals. I mean, it's mind-boggling to me that you don't hear anything about this on the news. Uh,
3: It is a a great challenge, and I think you are 100% right that mainstream media is either desirous of maintaining a message that there's not really a threat in radical Islam, Or even if they appreciate the threat, they are intimidated. And I think that's the case even now with uh, Fox News. You know, we would like them to screen the third... Jihad and do a special about it in the same way they do with obsession. But I, uh, I have a feeling they're going to be intimidated because when they showed it the first time, a lot of the liberal media gave them a lot of flack. And I think that this is really something that comes to the core of the whole issue. You know, and even what um, President uh, Obama's speech the other day. You know, he's he's trying to tell everybody. You know, okay, there's this small little issue of radical Islam, but basically, you know, everything's wonderful and. It's hard to get a sense of how deep the threat is and how it really is possible that there's 100 million Muslims around the world dedicated to bringing about the Islamic caliphate, the Islamic State, spread around the world unified as one state, and replacing America and the Western powers as the superpower of the world. They are very determined to do it through terror. That's what we show in obsession. And in the third jihad, we add another element, the cultural jihad. And there's a lot of aspects of that that the the film explores. They have many strategies towards accomplishing their goals, and it's just something that the mainstream media is unfortunately doing a great disservice by not educating the people about
0: it. You know, it's interesting this whole thing you're saying because I've always felt there was a bit of a disconnect, um, especially right after nine eleven. There was an attempt to reassure the Muslim uh, uh, populace here in America and around the world that although we were upset by having you know so many Americans uh, murdered, we weren't going to really take it out on Muslims because you know it's only a, a small group of Muslims who are actually uh, responsible for this. So, at the one hand, recognizing that there's a you know this is radical Islam, not all all Muslims are like this. But then it was almost as if what was said was because it's a small group, we'll just be extra nice to Muslims and and we'll we'll just ignore them. And it's 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 nice to hear you kind of putting that a little bit more clearly because it just it's always kind of boggled my mind a little bit. It's like well, if there is a, a a small group that is out there and pushing this, this this terror program then then we ought to be dealing with them but it seems like we're just ignoring them more
3: yeah and it's not a small group it's it's right. it's right. a massive group and and it's all right. over the place i mean you look at somalia there's a good example of how the media obfuscate in somalia with the, everyone knows about the pirates problem almost nobody knows that these are radical islamic pirates and almost nobody knows that they are servicing A civil war that's going on in Somalia, a very pivotal geopolitical center in the the world, and they are attempting to take over the country and rule it with Sharia law by radical Islam. And they use the money from the pirating to support the civil war, and they are winning. The country is a disaster because of the civil war. But nobody is given the education to know that here is another spot on the planet where it could be in just a matter of months that another country goes down be ruled by Sharia law and radical Islam, and that means the end of women's rights and the end of gay rights and all those, and liberal education and women's education and the freedom of speech and the freedom to practice Christianity, all those things will be checked out the window. So it's not only the media, it's also you wonder where are those people, where are the women's groups? speaking out Why a, they that's, not talk
0: that 's an amazing point because uh, again th- because these these groups are so vocal in this country the women 's groups and whatever to even uh, you know if you sneeze in the wrong direction on some of uh, some of these on one of their issues they're out there, and they're against it, and they're picketing, and they're doing whatever, but when it comes to Islam, it's as if everybody's afraid to say anything negative, no matter how appropriate it is to say something negative.
3: Right, and they're using that. That's really what the cultural jihad is all about, that we expose very carefully and and fully in the third jihad. We show that they're using these Western freedoms against us. They use the freedom of speech to tell us to stop talking about radical Islam. (laughs) Absolutely. And they intimidate people, and they are being very, very successful at it in so many different ways. So they're using, for example, in the prison system, they have a whole network of Islamic imams being the clerics, and they're trying to convert many uh, prisoners to become radical Islamics. And when they get out, and right now 18%, according to Ray Kelly, the chief of New York police, 18% of the New York prisoners in the state are Muslim. And when many of these people come out, they have been burned into them, a very radical anti-American ideology. Hmm. Some of them goes, go to towns like Islamburg, which we show the town in upstate New York. And there's a group of 30 compounds throughout the United States that we talk about in the third jihad that are basically small radical Islamic compounds where they train in in terror techniques right here on American soil. And then other ones end up like we saw where we had two homegrown terror attacks by Muslim converts within one week. Mm -hmm. One of them was a foiled attack by four of them. Three of them were converts against Jewish centers in Riverdale and also against military planes in New York and the other one that killed, a, killed an American soldier at a recruitment center. Right. These are real things happening with homegrown terror and prisoner recruitment and the radical Islamization within America. And that is shocking, and that is what we show in, in the third jihad, where we try to paint a very broad picture to get the whole picture, of how all the pieces come together to be really quite a, a, a scary view of why the Muslims themselves, the radical Muslims, believe that they are in winning in this war today.
1: Well, and I'm going to tell you something that's even scarier than that, is that most Americans, even if they were to believe this, most Americans are as- asking Well, how could they do this? And I'm going to tell you what's scary about this. It's not how could they. It's they already are. It's how I'm sitting here looking at uh, another page of this uh, FBI uh, manifesto that was put together by the Islamic Brotherhood of North America. I'm sitting here looking at a lineup of 29 organizations that they have titled as a list of our organizations and the organizations of our friends. Imagine if they all march according to one plan. And I mean, it's got everything on here from Islamic Society of North America, uh, Islam, Islamic Teaching Centers, Islamic Circle of North America, it's Islamic Information Center, Audiovisual Center, Islamic Book Service, Islamic, or I should say Muslim Youth of North America. I mean, they are infiltrating every segment of business, of secular society, in which to pull off this major coup. And, yeah. And yeah. It, it can't be looked at any other way. It's not a matter of how are they going to do it. They are doing it. If this was written in, what do you say, it was 1997? 1991. 1991. I, I mean, I, these, are, these are actually in existence, and who knows how many more are in existence since the writing of this original document.
3: And I'll give you an example of that. There's an organization called CARE, which is known to be, in the mainstream media, it's spoken about as a, uh, as the uh, largest Muslim civil rights organization. That's how it's characterized. It's the Council of American-Islamic Relations. And they are a non-indicted co-conspirator in the Holy Land trial, which means they are basically accused, through the justice system, of being supporters of terror. They were aligned and supported the Hamas terror organization and they have till this day and even on the film the third jihad we show they will not condemn hamas and these people apart from being radical islamists and some of the heads of that were at that 1991 meeting of the muslim brotherhood when they said this is how we're going to infiltrate america towards taking over for sharia law and islam they decided we're going to try to Paint ourselves as moderates to fool the American system because they want to have moderate Muslims. They need to have moderate Muslims. So we'll pretend to be them, right. and then we'll infiltrate in the political system and the justice system, etc. And until very recently, They were training the FBI. They were training the FBI in how to understand (laughs) Islamic issues and Islamic sensitivities. And it was only a month or two ago that finally the FBI wised up and stopped that from happening. But that's after a decade or so of them... of these radical Islamists in wolves in, in sheep's clothing training our own FBI and it's scary.
1: It's interesting because I and, and many people I've talked to have you know asked this question uh, you know and for, for me I, I wondered how a parent could raise their children to go and blow themselves up in in a process of killing as many other people as they possibly could. I think I have found my answer or at least I have a theory. Uh, I I recently saw an eight minute film about Muslim demographics, which states that in order for a culture to maintain itself uh, for more than 25 years, there must be 2.11 children born in every family. And that historically, a fertility rate of 1.9 has never reversed the growth of the culture. It's always gone into decline. And the fertility rate for Muslims is 8.1% and to sit and watch these mothers of these children who are proud to have sent their child to their death by way of suicide bombing and, and along the way kill as many as you can is absolutely remarkable to me. And so it seems like at 8.1 fertility rate, they're literally a human bomb manufacturing culture.
3: Yeah, and it's... it's um... To qualify that, in some that that's the high end of, of re- reproduction in some of the Muslim countries.
1: The 8.1? It's all, okay. almost
3: in, all, in almost all societies that they're in, it's considerably higher. And it, it is something that we focus on in the Third Jihad a lot, because it's especially interesting with regards to Europe. Because although the focus of the film Third Jihad is about America, we bring the situation in Europe because it's so much more real. And basically Bernard Lewis who's the number one Islamic scholar in the world, and he's from Princeton. He's a very, very credible academic. He basically says Europe is lost, and he says this in the film, and he says it's just a matter of a number of decades, and it's really simple. Radical Islam and Islam is going to take over Europe without firing a shot?
1: Right, right.
3: Simply by by the demographics. Exactly. Because most of Europe is having 1.3 babies per family. And the Muslims are having five-point-something. And that means it just takes a few decades. And already today, Rotterdam, Holland has 40% Muslims. The third largest city in Sweden has 25%. Paris is almost 25%. Right. And that means wow. they start to influence the political system, and much more than the political system. And then at the same time, it would be not a problem if they were integrating like most minorities in America. But they're not. And the polls show that the majority of these people are actually, 35% of them, want to see Sharia law take over their countries. And so wow. it's, the combination is just shocking, and you see that they might even do this, and, and we even have Qaddafi, the head of Libya, saying that's what they're doing, and several of the Muslim leaders say it explicitly, that we can do jihad without firing a shot, and we can conquer a good part of this world through many techniques, and one of them is through using demographics as an element of conquest.
1: Which also then begs the question, why the need for terrorism? And the only conclusion that I can come up with, and and maybe I'm thinking too simply on this, is that if they kill as many families as they possibly can, they are assisting in reducing the fertility rate of any given culture. That's part of
3: it, uh, but I think that it comes also down to something that Dr. Jasser referred to earlier. That there's really in the in the in the radical Islamic world, there's kind of two schools of thought. One is what we see in Al Qaeda, the really violent terrorists, right. Hamas, Hezbollah. They're determined to use violence whenever and wherever possible. They're looking uh, to to get the nuclear weapon. This is Iran as well, in order to use it. These people want to use terror because it's the fastest way to create the submission of the world to radical Islam. But there's other radical Islamists, like represented in Saudi Arabia and some of the Muslim Brotherhood, which is represented by Wahhabi, they're a little more patient. They're willing to use the education system and plant mosques all over the world and, and infiltrate the prison systems in different countries and use the demographics. And they look at it, look, we've been fighting this war for 1,400 years. It's another 100 years will be victorious, right. and, therefore, and they also feel that it could be that when you do big terror attacks that people look negativ- negatively <laughs> on Islam, if you can believe that. So they say it might not be the best strategy. They have no problem with killing the infidel, but it might not be the best strategy. So I think those are the two things at play, and unfortunately a lot of Americans think, oh, Saudi Arabia, There are allies against the bad guys.
1: Right. But really
3: they have every intent to bring about the takeover of Sharia in the world. And bring about the Islamic superpower. They're just doing it using cultural jihad instead of terror jihad.
0: To get back at the, the number of doing it within in the, in the country through through population. You mentioned Europe, but you know America has a Muslim population that's growing at an exponential rate itself. We got a number here that says in 1970 there were only about 100,000 Muslims in America. And as of 2008, there are now 9 million.
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if that number is correct. It's really, there's been no clear census about it. And really, the numbers range that people give between uh, about 3 million and 9 million. And the Muslim community would like us to believe that it's a higher number to expand their political base. It's really unclear how many there are. What is true is that they are growing at a at a very fast rate. And to a large degree, they are not completely integrating into American society, as many other minorities have in, in previous decades and, and centuries, because really that's all, what America is all about. And what you get instead is, for example, something that we explored in uh, the making of the third jihad, but it ended up not being included in the film, in Boston, where a mosque is being built. It's a huge mosque in the center of Boston, I believe it is. And it's being supported by foreign funds, a lot of foreign funds from people in Saudi Arabia and other radical Islamic countries. And in the mosque has radical education and radical people have been on the board. And it's clear what they want to do. And not only that, they were given the land to build the the building at a fraction of the price by the city of Boston. And there was a grassroots effort by a, a, a Christian, a Jew, and a Muslim to try to stop this and accuse them of uh, being a radical base and will be a threat for homegrown terror in the future, and they got sued. And this wow. is what we call lawfare, using right. the legal system against it. And the, and when they saw they were going to lose this mosque in Boston, they dropped the case, but only after they, the defendants had to, had to, had to lay out $300,000. And in the end, the mosque is being built. So they know how to use the system and this is the kind of thing that is a problem if they would and that's what dr. Jasser was referring to is that we need, we need in the Muslim community to have more moderate Muslims like Dr. Jasser challenge the radical ideas in their communities but unfortunately the trend today is very much the other way.
0: you know I, in, in college I took a, a class on Islam taught by a moderate Muslim who uh, works with uh, student organizations in Iran and they're actually attempting to do sort of a grassroots movement of doing some of what it sounds like that, uh, that uh, Dr. Jasser was talking about, doing more of an intellectual fighting back or, or counterterrorism, if you will, within the, the, the uh, Muslim community. Well, we're coming
1: up uh, to hit the end of the show, and I, I think that we all can agree that these folks are intelligent, they're determined, they're passionate, and they have a plan that is in place, and it's working, and America and the world, we need to wake up right now. So, Mr. Shore, we appreciate the time you've shared with us today, the information that you have provided. And once again, folks, for you to help these folks out, to to help yourself out, to help your friends and family out, please do visit www.the.com thirdjihad.com, and purchase this DVD because there's information on it that we haven't even begun to scratch the surface about. So, uh, Rafael, please accept our our greatest thanks and gratitude for being part of the show today.
3: It's been a pleasure, and I also want to encourage people, in addition to the thirdjihad.com website, we have a site called radicalislam.org where you can get a very solid education and find out what you can do, because this thing... Is going to be one only when a lot of people get educated and a lot of people become involved in some level. And they can be involved as simply as watching the film and showing it to others. But there's many other things to do. They can find out all about it at radicalislam.org.
1: And for those of you who want to get in on the uh, DVDs that are being given away, here's all you have to do just send in an email, include your name and address, and the code words Wake Up call please send it to this address we don't want to overwhelm israel national radio please send it here to ray at noahide nations.com and we will contact you let you know when they're going to be going out and we'll handle all the logistics for you in the meantime we will see you all next week and please my friends always look to the heavens for your help from hashem because i assure you he is always looking out for you see you next week
0: let me see you
2: There is a famous segula that a person who goes to the Western Wall for 40 consecutive days to pray for one request will have that request answered. There is also a long-standing tradition of giving charity to have a pious Jew pray in your place since not everyone is able to make such a journey. Western Wall Prayers, 40 days of prayer for you at the Kotel is a project of Kol El Moshe. Visit westernwallprayers.org That's
1: westernwallprayers.org
2: Honey, I've almost installed a new ceiling fan. For some jobs, you need a professional. Call Elon White, certified electrician for installations of Shabbos clocks, fans, indoor and outdoor lighting, and everything else. Fluent in Hebrew and English, servicing Jerusalem, Gush Etzion, Judea and Samaria, and throughout Israel. Call Elon White, 054-635-2618, or email elonwhite at gmail.com. That's E-L-A-N-White at gmail.com.